Future CEOs, Episode 5. So you want to be a CEO? Sure, go ahead, read your ABCs of managing book. Or if you really want to be a CEO, then keep on listening to this Future CEOs podcast with your host, Gareth Armstrong, as he gets you up close and personal with real-world CEOs thought leaders, and industry experts to learn from their experiences and the insight and wisdom they've gained while leading in these challenging and ever-changing times. Are you ready? Then let's do this. Hello and welcome to Future CEOs. I'm Gareth Armstrong and today we're going to be talking to a very impressive CEO. So impressive in fact that his last four job titles have been chief executive of some rather large well-known brands. I will ask Graham Victor, CEO of DuPont Telecoms, to expand on that a little in just a moment, but want to add that his journey has been one of both corporate devotion and entrepreneurial endeavor. So I'm really excited about this conversation. Without further ado, Graham Victor, it's great to have you on Future CEOs. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, and thank you for having me. You've got a very interesting journey, I mean, a journey that is seen you be the CEO through a number of different organizations and then starting your own organization. Can you talk us through or walk us through that for a moment? Well, I think the, the start is even interesting because I did a civil engineering degree at WITS and I came out and probably the first learning experience I got was in 1976 when the building industry was going into a recession. I got retrenched after six months in the industry. Okay. And I think that probably was one of the events that sort of set my tone for my career because I realized, A, the building industry is a very volatile industry. And the second thing is that you can't just rely on unemployment to your career. You actually have to drive your own bus, if I can use that word. So I immediately started looking for an alternative career and I actually went into computers and went overseas and studied at Stanford University and came back and started a company called Kessel Feinstein Consulting with, uh, as an as a offlink of Kessel Feinstein, a then auditing firm, which today is Grant Thornton. And I was a second-class citizen not being a CA because I could never become a partner. Mm. And I realized that the only way to be an equal was to be a CA. So at the age of 20, 28, with one child on the way, I started a five-year CA degree. Oh, really? And today, fortunately, I passed every year and got my CA. I must tell you, I'm the child at school who couldn't pass standard five or even matric. Okay. So qualifying with, a, with an engineering degree, a master's, and then a CA really set the tone for the rest of my career. I ran the management consulting division of Kessel Feinstein Consulting at that time for 10 years which was implementing and, and doing computer systems. But I always felt I was telling everybody else how to run a business. And I, even though I had 80 consultants working for me, was advising and not doing it. So at a point in time, I left and didn't know what I was going to do because at that stage, I had a year's resignation period oh, really? and eventually okay, got headhunted to join CompuTicket. And that was probably the start of this change of a career we modernized CompuTicket and TicketLine, what we know when we go to a movie house was one of the inventions we did, and sold CompuTicket eventually into multi-choice, and then was left again with a changing career. 
And just at that time, the MD of Vodak, which is today Vodacom service provider, resigned, and I got headhunted by then Eleanor Craig to run Vodak. And that took me down a different career. And really, the cellular game was a very exciting career. But then finally, I got tired of the corporate world and decided that it always looked better outside and doing your own thing. The grass is greener on the other side. Much greener, but there's a reason why. Okay. And decided to leave the corporate world and start my own business, and that's where we are today. We can talk more about that transition because it is a different world. Mm. And I've learned a lot of differences between the corporate world, your own business, and the pros and cons of both worlds. Well, let's do that. Let's jump into it immediately. Uh, what have you picked up are some significant differences? Because uh, sometimes the grass does appear greener. I think you're saying it is greener, but maybe for some specific reasons. I think the, the big advantage of the corporate world is you have some element of cotton wool around you. The big thing for me was there was never an issue of cash flow. There was always money from the shareholders to pay for the business. And I never really realized how much importance that actually had to your life. So you can get on and run the business and let's call it have fun and be creative. When you get into your own businesses, the cash flow becomes a major challenge. Mm. And the sleepless nights of waking up at four o'clock in the morning, sweat all over you, is really because you're not sure how you're going to pay your creditors. Often in the corporate world, that's not your problem. You leave that to the shareholders. Mm. So I think there is a vast difference between the corporate world and your own business. The other big advantage is your own business. You don't have to watch your back all the time. But by watching your back in the corporate world, it gives you an element of comfort and if you're in the right corporate, you can make a lot more money out of share options than you'll ever make in your own business unless mm. you sell out. So there's definite pros and cons between the two. And I think it, a lot depends on your personality. I'm a little bit of a maverick. I like to do things off the cuff, immediate. I haven't got patience. And the corporate world wasn't for me. Too much red tape, too much bureaucracy. Correct. And too much asking for permission. I like to do it and then apologize for the mistakes. So I think there's a different culture and a different kind of personality, but there's nothing wrong with both worlds. And if we look around South Africa, I think some of the richer guys are the guys who've stayed in the corporate world and made a lot of money. But they've also taken a lot of, they've watched their back very carefully over the years, I'm sure. Hmm. So you've led a number of different organizations, you're now leading your own organization. In terms of the leadership of these different organizations, what have you found are pros and cons in that um, area? Look, I think there's two types of leadership. And I, I always like the title of, I look at the title managing director because you can be a CEO and be a leader. and You can also be a CEO and be a manager. Mm. I see myself more on the leader side than the, than the managing side. So... For me, it's a very important to have a strong team around me. I like strong people with different views than me because I'm prepared to learn from them and grow from them. In a small entrepreneurial organization, you can make a quick decision, you can implement it, and you can see the results, good or bad, very quickly. In a big corporate, it's like moving a bus. You've got to go around the corner slowly. You've got to plan for them. Sometimes you've got to motivate it. 
And often you're motivating it to somebody who doesn't have the same passion or vision that you do, and it's a more of a challenge. But also that creates the braces that sometimes protect you from failure. Mm. So there's, there's a very vast difference between the two worlds. And again, I don't say one's right and one's wrong. Which really brings us to the question, what we have here is we've got two different kinds of CEOs really that are coming through. That's what I'm hearing you talking about. Here's the question. What does it take to be a CEO? I don't believe there's a definition of a CEO. And I think every CEO is very different. I think the one thing is you've got to have guts. And you've got to be prepared to take a certain amount of risk in your personal life and make decisions. Because a CEO who doesn't make decisions is a failure. So you've got to be able to put your head above the crowd and say, I'm prepared to go with this decision. It might be right, it might be wrong, but if you don't make decisions, you're going to make a failure. I think the other issue is you've got to be a multidisciplinary person. You can't say I'm just strong in finance because tomorrow you're talking marketing. The next minute you're talking sales. The next minute you're talking something else. So for me, a CEO needs to be across every aspect of the business and have his finger in every aspect of the business and be able to multitask all day and every night in all aspects because you can't just say, I'm going to leave the sales to my sales director because I'll tell you one thing, you won't have a business or vice versa. You can't say, I'll hire the best CA as my financial manager or financial director and leave the business to them. If you don't keep poking your nose into every aspect of your business, it's going to fail. So for me, the, you've got to be multidisciplinary. The other issue is a CEO is a 24-hour, seven-day job. Mm. You, you can't switch off at six o'clock and go home and say, oh, shit, I've had enough for the day. I'm going to play with the kids. Not necessarily phone calls, but you've got to be thinking. You've got to be strategizing. You've got to think of problems of that day. You can't just say, oh, I switch off on a, on a Sunday and I'll go play rugby for the day. It doesn't work like that because in the middle of that rugby match, you may be thinking, oh, shit, I should have done that or I should have done that or there's an opportunity. So I think you can't be a part-time CEO. It's a very big commitment and often at the detriment of your family because there's times where you can't just say, I'm switching off, I'm going to do homework with my children. Because in the middle of that homework, you're going to get a phone call, you're going to get an email, or you're going to suddenly realize, oh, shit, I should have done that or something like that. I sat with Wayne Sampson. He is the CEO of the Ellie's Group. I know Wayne. Okay, good. And uh, he said his biggest regret, but also one of the things that he is very grateful for is, um, well, let me first mention the regret, and that is that he has not been able to spend as much time with his family as he would like. But on the other side of the coin, he has said, well, uh, this has enabled me to provide for my family in a way that I was never provided for. How have you found you've been able to balance that out? I think that's the biggest challenge, and I think what he says is very valid. There are times where I just want to switch off and go and spend time with my family or my wife, and I can't. The pressure at times is boiling. You can't suddenly say, oh, okay, we're going to a dinner party and act normally during the dinner party when you've had a bad day at work or you've got three legal letters that day and you need to deal with them. Mm. So I think as a CEO, 
you pay emotionally, your family pay emotionally, but as, the, as you said earlier, the advantage is you earn well if you're successful, and more important, you have fun. And I think that's the most important point. Whatever I've done, I've made sure that I enjoy it and I have fun doing it. If that passion leaves me, I must move on mm. because you, this isn't a job that you can come to at 8 o'clock in the morning and 5 o'clock say, it's time to go for a run, I'm switching off. Mm. Okay, very, very interesting comments. Often comments that I think young future CEOs aren't thinking about. They're just seeing the title. They're imagining the lifestyle, which is golf on every other day and a few business meetings and then kicking back and relaxing. And that's not really the case. Definitely not. You know, I don't think if you actually analyzed it, there'd probably be very few CEOs that play as much golf as people think they play. Mm. There are more CEOs getting up at 4 o'clock and 5 o'clock in the morning and going to gym before the family wakes up or before the office opens so that at 8 o'clock they're at the office at the same time as their staff. You know, being in my own business, I don't need to get to work at 8 o'clock in the morning, but I'm here every morning at 8 o'clock. Mm. And, and amongst my friends who are also CEOs, we all have the same culture. So it's, it becomes a work culture that you feel guilty by taking off an hour. But there's no reason not to, but there's a, there's a guilt feeling, and that's what's driven us to be successful. One of my friends, he has just started, or, or rather he has opened a couple of franchises, and one of the things that he's struggling with the most is dealing with the pressure that comes with having employees. A few words of wisdom before we maybe move on, just to him. You know, dealing with employees is a challenge. I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges that we all have. I think the first thing is to lead by example. My view has always been that a CEO should be able to do every job in the organization. The second thing, I think it's important to walk the floor. Whether I was running Vodacom with a six-story building with over a thousand employees, every day I walked through every single floor just to say, hello, how are you? And, and actually to show the employees you're just another person. You're not something that sits in the Eiffel Tower right at the top in a corner and the door's locked and you can't get approached. Those days are over. But employees are difficult. And the challenge of business is to keep motivating them. They've got their own problems. They bring it to the office and you have to manage that problem and ideally get the best out of them. The other big challenge for me always been is to find what turns that employee on the best because a round peg in a square hole doesn't work mm. and many employees are just there for the job and I often say to an employee, you know what, you would be better off leaving this organization because you would succeed better in another job. Your long-term career would be better rather than staying as an accountant when you should be a salesperson or vice versa. Mm. So you've got to be human with people uh, you've got to understand they have their own stresses, their own financial constraints. But on the other hand, you have to be tough. And I think one of the other challenges I've always had is to be friendly with our employees, to get, understand their situation, but also always to keep a gap between them. Mm. You can't get close enough that you become buddy buddies. So there's got to be a certain, you can go down to their levels, but not touch their levels, if that makes sense. Mm, no, no, it, it does make sense. I think it's easier said than done, Correct. certainly. 
Just quickly on the walkabout principle or idea, Shamil Jusup, and uh, now we sat with, with him, and of course he's the CEO of Vodacom, and he spoke about this as well. One of the things that he stressed uh, when he does his walkabout is that often there is a temptation uh, for you to get involved in, in some of the issues that they're dealing with, but that's not the point of the walkabout. The walkabout is not there so that you can tell people what to do. It's for you to connect with the people, as you mentioned. Anything you would like to add to what he says? I think that's very valid, although it's amazing when you do sit, you know, and I remember quite often when I ran CompuTicket, it wouldn't hurt to actually sit down in the call center and take one or two calls mm. because it showed the staff that you actually knew what you were doing as well. And you gain an amount of respect from the staff if they see you doing their jobs. So often if I did hit a problem or I could solve a problem, I won't get involved, but I might help because sometimes they gain the respect to see that you can actually do their job or you understand their job. I think too many CEOs are above it. Mm. And you know what? The staff realize it and people talk about it. And it's important to actually touch the hearts of every employee. Mm. The, the motivation that you're talking about is not to control. Rather, it's to connect. It's to inspire. It's to lead by example. And again, I think that's the difference between managing and leadership. You, you need to be the leader of the rugby team. You mustn't dictate how to kick that ball. Mm, very nice. So as a young up-and-coming executive first and then entrepreneur perhaps a little bit later, although you must have had that entrepreneurial something within you anyway, what was one of the biggest mistakes that you made that you would really just really boils down to uh, inexperience, maybe some naivety? And what was the lesson that you learned? I think the biggest lesson I've learned in my life is to listen to elders and learn from elders. As a brash, probably sometimes youngster, I would think that my way was the only way. Mm. And, and really not having, sort of in my early days, having enough mentors around me. I always thought I was cleverer than everybody else. The key is to learn from people with experience. I can tell you many experiences where if I would have listened to them and learned from them, I probably would have achieved certain goals much quicker because they've gone through it before, they've gone through the troubles, but in often cases I've had to learn, make the same mistakes that probably they've made by not tying onto a mentor, not watching somebody else and learning from them, but always thinking my way is the only way. Mm. So, you know, for me, even in the corporate world, I think... One of my weaknesses was I tried to do everything too quickly and I didn't play, let's call it, the game with everybody else. In retrospect, I think if I would have played the game, I would have had more fun and been part of the team rather than being an individual who just wants to go ahead and be a bull in a china shop, if mm. I can use that analogy. Okay. What don't leadership or management books teach about being a CEO? To me, the, the, the problem with most management books are they're very vertical or one-dimensional. So the problem is that you'll read them and say, yeah, that's me, that's me. I identify with it. I'm passionate about this or I'm passionate this. The, the problem is in reality you get faced with almost bullets being shot at you all the time from all different directions and no management book will teach you how to deal with that how to be calm, how to sit down and say, hang on a sec, let me deal with one issue at a time. 
because that random, unpredictable, uh, fierce, changing environment, especially what we're living through at the moment, is unpredictable. And I don't think any management book actually teaches you how to deal with, let's call it the stormy seas that, are, that we live in and trade in at the moment. Mm. I heard a really nice, who was it from? Someone at Harvard Business School, and I forget who it was, but he said that leadership is all about dealing with change. Management is all about dealing with complexity. I think I hear some of that coming Correct. through here. I think that's very right. What was your biggest light bulb moment as you stepped into your role as a CEO? So right in the beginning of your career, perhaps, or and maybe even a light bulb um, later on as you are the CEO of your own business. You know, I've, fortunately, I suppose I've had a, a number of them. My very first light bulb was probably I was working for a lady doing some financial modeling in my young age. And I said to Gail, why don't you make me a director? And she said, when you behave like a director, I'll make you a director. Okay. And I, I think to that I have never forgotten that because I've used it with my employees. I've used it in all things. I think it's key for you to behave like you want to be respected. So for me, that was very important. The second probably big issue was um, I just joined Kessel Feinstein and one of the partners who was heading up the division that I was involved lost his wife, unfortunately. And all of a sudden, I had to take the reins. And one of the areas where I'd never had experience in selling, I had to go out and create and be the rainmaker. Mm. And I took the initiative. I, took, I was thrown into it. And I was fortunately, I've been very successful at it. So I think for me, you mustn't fear what you don't know. You mustn't stand back and watch. You actually have to get involved. You take ownership. And any problem you have, you've got to confront. So if you've had a bad customer, you can't sit back and say, oh, he'll go away. Rather get in your car, go and have a cup of coffee with him, meet him, talk to him, and resolve the problem. So for me, the, the, the kind of ideas or, or light bulb moments, as you call them, has been to face the challenges and embrace the challenges and go and solve the problems. Mm. I was also very, very fortunate to work for Eleanor Craig. Shamil and I were both reported to Eleanor Craig for many years. And I think what he taught me is think big. Uh, I remember going first asking him one day to approve a million rand expenditure. And he said, Graham, you're running a billion rand company. A million rand's not a lot of money. Mm. And again, I had to learn to take ownership. And if I made a mistake, I was responsible. So I think it's important to take ownership, be responsible, but don't duck behind the title or the responsibility. Go and face it in whatever you do. Mm. Okay, very, very nice. Please finish the sentence. As a CEO, my highest priority every day is to ensure... That's a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> Today, my highest priority is to make sure there's enough money in the bank to pay my staff salaries. And I think that really drives me today. I think one of the biggest driver for me personally is the fear of failure. Mm. And I think this drives a lot of CEOs. And I would hate to admit that I've been a failure in whatever I've done. So for me, what drives me day in and day out is the fear of failure. And in my current state, my, the failure would be that I haven't got money at the end of the month to pay my staff. So I'm ensuring that whatever I do, whether it's sales, cash flow, 
management, stock control, is that there's enough money in the bank to pay my staff every month. Okay, very nice. What's the best advice you've ever received, Gwen? You know, unfortunately, you don't receive, maybe I'm wrong, I've never received advice directly, do this, do that, do that. I think, for me, the best advice I've got is snippets from different people. And one of the key advices to me is that don't worry about turnover, worry about cash flow. And especially in your own business. It's the money in the bank that actually determines the success of your business. Mm. Turnover is vanity. People ask me what my turnover is. I often can't even tell them because I don't watch that. But on a daily basis, I watch my cash flow. By watching your cash flow, you're watching your sales, you're watching your collections, and you're watching your purchases. So for me, in, I would say to any entrepreneur, watch your cash flow. Very nice. What one habit do you attribute to your success as you sit here with me today? Hard work. Unfortunately, I'm a workaholic. Uh, there's emails during the day, there's emails during the night. I will not go to bed before I've finished every single proposal, every single email for that day. And the only thing that drives me is the fear of failure, but the passion to make my customers happy find solutions, and I will not close the day unless I've done every proposal, read every mail, and at least answered them or dealt with it. Mm. Your answer of hard work may come into this next question, but let's see what happens. What are your three pillars of CEO leadership, if you were to identify three? I think the one area is your financial side of your business. You okay. cannot ignore the financial side of your business. The second area is the human resource area. I honestly do not believe in an HR department, and I've never had an HR department. And can I jump in there? Tell us why, please. Because I think you can't abdicate your responsibility for managing people. People is your biggest aspect, and you must manage it. Yes, there's all the legal admin side of HR. Yes, you can get people to administer the HR side. But... When it comes to a disciplinary or motivation, you can't call in a third party and say, please motivate my staff. It's your responsibility. Mm. When a staff member's got a financial problem, they need to come and talk to you. You need to understand what's in that person's head. So for me, staff are most, most important aspect of your business. And it doesn't matter how big you are. I've always said staff are a key aspect in your business because good motivated staff will make you successful. And one of my strengths has been to take young, I must say, especially females, and grow them into management positions. And I clearly say that I've, some of the ladies who have worked for me in the early days are today managing directors of organizations mm. because I saw a potential in them and didn't leave them as a low-level call center agent but coached them personal pride in them to make them what they are today. So I think you cannot abdicate HR issues at all, and managing your line is important. And the third thing, of course, is your customer. If you're not passionate about making your customer happy and going the extra mile for your customer, you don't have a business. So without people, without money, and without customers, you don't have a business. So those are my three pillars, and I will drive to Cape Town tomorrow if a customer said jump in your car and come 
because I've got a problem. What should future CEOs be studying over and above maybe the university education or other maybe advanced degrees like an MBA? Beyond those things, what should they be studying? The challenge with a CEO today, as I said earlier, is to be multidisciplinary. Mm. And one thing, my combination of an engineer and a accounting has given me the ability to think logically using the engineering brain, but also have the accounting skills, which is very critical in business. To me, you've got to have a very good skill set. And future learning is you can't avoid gaps in your career. So if you don't understand computers, you can't say, well, I don't understand that area. I'm not going to learn that. Mm. You actually have to take the time out and go and study computers. If you don't understand the labor law, you better go and learn the labor law. So the challenge for me is to be open, not necessarily to studying, but learning every aspect of what you deal with today. And I've seen many businesses fail where a guy says, well, you know, the accounting isn't my responsibility. Speak to my accountant. Well, it may have not been a good accountant, but he had gave the wrong advice, and at the end of the day, the business failed. Mm. You can't blame anyone else for your success or failure. There's only one person, and that's the CEO. Are there unique languages in business? I believe that they are. No question. I think there's lots and lots of different languages in business, and there's lots of different angles to business. Um, one of the things where I've seen people fail is the technology side. People are scared or they just say, I'm not interested in technology. Well, mm. I think today you cannot not be interested in technology. So you get guys making IT decisions in businesses by asking their grandson or their sister's friend's best friend about a million rand decision in IT, but when it comes to a grader, they'll go into a feasibility study of 20, 30 pages. I don't believe there's any aspect of the business you can ab abdicate at this point in time. Mm. What book do you recommend all future CEOs should be reading? I must be honest, I'm not a big reader. I've never had time to read. So that's not really my question. I believe what's more important is to have real live mentors. I've been fortunate enough. I was a member of Young Presidents Organization. I have always networked with a lot of CEOs. And I've used that as my medium to learn. So for me, on-the-job training, listening and watching other CEOs, reading the daily papers, reading profiles on current CEOs, has really been the way that I've modeled my career. I'm nervous of the textbook CEO, to be honest. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? I hear you saying that on-the-job training is very important. In fact, there's a, a really nice saying that I like, and it's, I hear and I forget, I see and I remember, I do and I understand. I, I think that's what I'm hearing you say about the textbook CEO. Often we'll sit in a meeting and I, fortunately enough, got one or two non-executive positions at the moment and I'll hear the CEO say, you know, I learned this leadership in this textbook and I'll think, you know, where's the practical side of that? Mm. That came out of an academic background out of Harvard or something like that, not that I'm against academics. But I think today the problem with textbooks is a lot of it is research, a lot of it is textbook approach. However, I do enjoy reading about a person's life history, reading Raymond Ackerman's book or something of that nature, mm. because you're getting an insight into him. 
into his thought process, his ideas. But a Harvard Business Review, to me, is too impersonal and not how our brain thinks. It's rather how they analyze our brain to think, if that makes things. It's a data-centric approach versus an approach where there is some feeling involved, emotion involved, um, and so on. You know, even reading stories about one or two of our sportsmen gives you an indication of what drove them. It's no different to be a successful sportsman to being a successful CEO. It's that personal drive that motivates me. Mm. Okay, lovely. We're getting to the close of, of our conversation. Maybe one or two questions before we do part company. And here's a really nice one. If you could go back in time and talk to the ambitious young you, what would you advise yourself? What, what counsel would you give yourself? I think where I made some mistakes was being impatient, wanting to do everything tomorrow. I recall doing a consulting job at a, in the very early days, and many of your listeners won't understand this, but where computers weren't on everyone's desk. I went to a company and I literally picked up the computers out of a data center and put it on everyone's desk. And I nearly got thrown out of the company, but mm. I survived. Okay. But I think I have tried to do things too quickly and probably too fast. And as a result, I've given too much energy to what I've achieved. But on the other hand, I'm not sure I would have achieved what I've achieved if I wouldn't have done it as wildly. I think for me, the advice I'd give to young CEOs is get yourself a mentor. Maybe get yourself two or three mentors. Use them, meet with them, and let them guide you and help you over some of the mistakes or, or stop you from making some of the mistakes that you'd make without some direction. Another big issue is talk. I never had a group of people that often I could talk to and say, how are you doing this? How are you doing this? How would you handle this issue? More recently, I have that opportunity, and it's a very powerful opportunity. So for me, mentorship wasn't a big thing in my day. In actual fact, I had a friend who got a mentor, and I thought he was crazy. But I would advise a CEO to get yourself a mentor. A final question, and really the question is very open-ended. Do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share with our future CEOs community before we do part company? I don't think a CEO is the end goal. I, I get a little nervous when I hear I want to be a CEO. I think the journey is I want to be good at what I do. I want to help somebody. I want to run people. I want to do this. Being a CEO is not the start and finish of everything. And sometimes there are other positions in the organization which are as powerful, as important and may have a different title, maybe the sales director or the financial director. And I think you shouldn't be driven by a title, but rather be driven by your passion. And I really think it's important to understand who you are and what are your strengths and weaknesses. Because sometimes the CEO position is extremely lonely. You're out there on the top of the pyramid by yourself. You take all the flack. And it's not for everybody. So I'd really advise people to make sure whatever they do in their careers, they have fun because that to me is the most important thing because with that comes passion and with that comes success. 
Graham Victor, Chief Executive Officer of DuPont Telecom. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you so much for allowing us to pick your brain and for sharing your experiences and your insights and your wisdom with our future CEOs community with us. Thank you very much for the opportunity. That was Graham Victor here on Future CEOs. If you'd like to get into contact with him, you can find his contact details on the podcast summary page on our website. I'm Gareth Armstrong. Great to be with you again. Thanks for joining us today on Future CEOs. And we hope you're feeling inspired and ready to take action. Head over to future-ceos.com for show summaries, recaps, articles, and other resources aimed at fast-tracking your rise to CEO status. To make it even easier for you, simply sign up for our weekly newsletter and we'll keep you up to date on all interviews, special guest appearances, new developments, and more.